We are going to be in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, okay? We're going to look at verse 6 through 13. All right. If you got it, say amen. No, you don't got it yet. All right, if you don't got it and you want a Bible, there's one at the welcome table. If you don't have one at your house, that's yours, okay? And I would, I would tell you what page it is, but I don't know. So I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Romans 9, 6 through 13. And don't worry about the baby. He just say amen, okay? It's all good. Amen, Brayden. There you go. 6 through 13. That's right. That's right. You got it now? Look at y'all already. It should be on the screen, too, Aaron. Oh, 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 look at there. All right. Let's read it. Okay, it says, okay, I'm going to read it. Y'all have to read it. Just listen. Now, it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet, are done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand. Not from works, but from the one who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. All right. So I just want to let y'all know. Y'all like, I bet y'all like, what is going on? All right. So it, because it's our general practice to preach through books of the Bible, it forces us all to encounter texts that could be confusing or could be hard. So, so we just trucking on through the book of Romans and we hit Romans 9. I'll just get your mind right because Romans 9, 10, 11, there's some doozies, okay? But, but I believe, I believe that God's word is inspired, that it is important, that none of it is by mistake or by accident. So we can trust that even if it, it might be hard to hear or difficult to understand, that God has something for us in this text today. And as we continue to walk through Romans 9, 10, and 11, what I love about expository preaching, that's what, what we call just going through books of the Bible, is it forces me to tell you the whole counsel of God, all right? I don't get to pick and choose what I get to say, but I want the Bible to set the stage for what it is that we talk about. Amen. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand this text today, even though it, it is complex and the truths may be hard to either understand or receive, Lord, we trust that it is your word. And so I'm asking that you will pour out the Holy Spirit on me so that I could speak with clarity and on all of us so that we could have ears to hear. In your name, amen, amen. All right, so the point of this passage is God will use whoever he wants to to accomplish his plan. God will use whoever he wants to to accomplish his 
plan. Now, I want to give you a bit of context because a lot of times we say context is king. You need to understand what's going on to understand this little passage. So I need to tell you a little bit about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Refresh your mind or I tell you anew. A lot of times when scripture talks about God, they'll say this is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There's some importance to these three individuals to our understanding of God's dealing with his people. His dealing with Israel is dealing with us. See, God has revealed himself uniquely in the stories of the Old Testament, and he made a promise to bless the world through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the story, I can tell you this, that the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was dysfunctional. It was a very dysfunctional family. It's like it's like you. I don't know if you watch soap operas. I don't. I don't. But but if they if they if they made a show about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it would be a soap opera. Okay, that's how that's how stressful and complex and ambiguous and the tension and the fighting all this happens. But but let me tell you this: what what gives me hope is that God still accomplishes His purpose through dysfunctional families. Yeah. Now we all got a little dysfunction. Let's be honest. But our dysfunction does not stop God from accomplishing his purpose with us. It's hope for us. It's hope for us. So we start with Abraham. God made a promise, a covenant, a contract, if you will, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And what's so interesting about God's covenant with Abraham is there is no backstory to Abraham. It's like God shows up and is like, you, Abraham, dude. It didn't say what Abraham was doing. It didn't tell us his personal history. He just goes up and says, Abraham, you, I want, I'm going to make a covenant, a promise with you. So in other words, it's like God came to this random dude whose name happened to be Abraham. And he tells him he's going to make his family into a nation. And all the people in the whole world would be blessed through him and his family. Now, what's so crazy about this promise is that Abraham and his wife were in their 90s at this point. Okay, I'm not a biology teacher, but usually babies don't come from unions right there. Okay, so and not only that, she was barren. She hadn't had children before that. How in the world could a nation come from that marriage? That is that's the craziness of the promise. And when God say, I'm going to make a big nation from you. And they're like, we don't have any kids and it doesn't look like we're about to. <laughs> so we'll just see what happens. You know. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, like us, Abraham and, and Sarah were kind of confused at that ordeal. They're like, I don't exactly know how that's going to happen. So what they decided to do is, is they actually got impatient with God's promise. They got impatient and they decided to accomplish God's plan through their own initiative. So what they decided to do is they took Sarah's servant, Hagar, and made her have a baby with Abraham. That child's name was Ishmael. Now listen, this is a tragic abuse of power, akin to trafficking in my opinion. This is not, this is not God's plan. This is not what God wanted them to do. In fact, in fact, they eventually banished Hagar and Ishmael from their family. They said, go on somewhere. Dysfunction. But even though Abraham and Sarah did not obey God, God still decided to accomplish his promise. So God supernaturally helped Abraham and Sarah conceive. Now, this, this is surprising because, again, this was not a natural thing. So this surprising birth of Isaac. And then Isaac had uh, twin boys with his wife, uh, J- Jacob and Esau. 
Esau was older and he was expected to get the inheritance and to continue the promise. The, the idea is that the oldest person kind of continues the family line. So the, the idea that, hey, I'm going to use your family to bless all families. Everybody would have thought was probably through Esau. But the younger twin, Jacob, tricked Esau. He was a deceiver and a chronic liar. Dysfunction. He tricked Esau and got his birthright. In other words, he says, I'm going to get what, what you usually get more money when daddy dies. But I didn't trick you and I'm going to get that money now. OK, that's what happened. And so we see this case of dysfunction over and over. And what's crazy is this is God chooses to bless the world through a nobody like Abraham, someone who was born miraculously like Isaac and a liar and a trickster like Jacob. That's who God decided that he was going to use to save this world. And when we get to verse six, what we learn is this, is that man's rejection of God does not stop God's plan. Look at verse six. It says, now it's not as though the word of God has failed because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. See, what's happening at this point in the book of Romans, if you go through Romans one through eight, we see this grand plan of God that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. And one of the significant points of that is that Jesus Christ was ethnically Israelite. He was ethnically Jewish. And what Paul's opponents were saying, listen, you say this good plan happened through ethnic Israel, but they not believe in your message. You go around and preach to them, they don't care about it. So, so is your plan that good since the people that it was first for it have rejected it? God has done all this preparatory work through ethnic Israel. Why did they not believe? That is the crux of the question. Paul is having to defend his gospel because it makes the gospel seem foolish. Because look, all this preparatory work is done through this country and they have all rejected. So, so what is going on? And Paul says, listen, God is not surprised by this. This did not catch God off guard. Here's the the deal. Their rejection of the gospel, the Israel rejection of the gospel did not stop the gospel from going forward. In fact, it actually aided the gospel in going forward. Here's how I know. So when, when, when Jesus, before he ascended, he told his, his disciples in Jerusalem, he said, listen, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Where are you at? Judea and Samaria, the people surrounding y'all, and everywhere else, the ends of the earth. But listen, as you follow the storyline of the book of Acts, they are just in Jerusalem. They ain't going nowhere. Ain't nobody taking Jesus' command seriously to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth. But then there's a persecution from the Jewish leaders. And they even kill one of the apostles and they begin to put people in jail. And all of a sudden, God's people got to run because they're afraid of persecution. But what's interesting, as they run, they begin to share the gospel of God's grace. So in their rejection of the gospel, God used that to further the gospel. Not only that, not only that. So, so Paul, we last, uh, last week talked about how Paul had this desire for his, for his brothers, his ethnic kinsmen, the Israelites. And so what, what happened, every time he would go to a new city, he would go to the synagogue and he would share the gospel at the synagogue. And more times than not, he would get rejected at the synagogue. And then he would just go somewhere else where there were Gentiles and he would begin to preach the gospel. See, even in their rejection, God's will is being accomplished. And so we ourselves cannot be afraid of gospel rejection because no matter what, God's will is going to be accomplished. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I'm like, this thing working. Sometimes I share God's word. It don't look like they care at all. And I'm like, what is happening? But I I need to remember 
that no person is going to stand in the way of the plan of God. And so this is what you have to encourage yourself and encourage each other with. When your life looks like it's going crazy, when you don't know what's going on, when it looks like God's not going to fulfill his promises to you, you remind yourself that no person, including you, is going to stand in the way of God accomplishes his purpose. We look at verse seven, we see that see that that God saves through grace and promise by faith. I'm going to explain it. Verse seven says, neither is it the case that all Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be offspring. So let's dig into it. So Abraham, I told you he had other children besides the one that God promised him. He had other children through his own efforts, through the efforts of the flesh, and he did not wait on God's promise. And they did not receive the promise, but Isaac did. Not only that, when, when uh, God did fulfill his promise and, and there was this large nation of Israelites that, de- that descended from Abraham, not all the Israelites were faithful. They weren't like, I mean, that, a lot of them weren't. Go read the Old Testament. It's crazy. It was wild. All right. They, they weren't even faithful to him. And Paul is using this example to explain this important point. And hear this. The determining factor. And if you are God's child is not physical descent, but God's promise and faith in that promise. In other words, God's people are the ones who receive God's promise by grace through faith. So God said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a promise to you. And Abraham believed, and that was counted at righteousness for him. And for us, when we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we receive this promise of forgiveness and eternal life. You cannot rely on physical or cultural affiliation to be God's child. It don't matter if your mama and your daddy was the holiest person. If you grew up in a Bible Belt, it does not matter. It is not determined on that. There's this story. So one of the the guys I love from history is is Charles Spurgeon. He was a gangster, but his mama was even more of a gangster. Because I'm going to tell you this story, you're going to understand. So his mama, he he was in charge of of discipling her kids. And, And one of the things that she would tell Charles Spurgeon when he was young and not yet a believer, he says, she said, Charles, if on the day of judgment... God lets me stand there and you don't believe in Jesus, I will condemn him. I will condemn you along with him because I didn't told you. Isn't that, that's crazy. Isn't it? If you stand there and you didn't listen to me and you about to get judgment, I'm going to say, give it to him because I didn't told him. That's crazy, you know, but she understood, like, it doesn't matter that you descended from this or that person, but you yourself, look, you and your mama not going to be in the judgment seat, you and your state, you and your culture, it's going to be you. And it decides what you did with the message of the gospel. Did you respond? This is such a burden for me because I have children of my own and I, I want to, like, say, listen, I, look, I know mommy and daddy go to church and I know daddy's a preacher, but you You have to choose the Lord. You have to repent. And we need to feel the weight of this as we disciple our children as a church. Just because they are connected to us physically does not mean that they believe. We have to say the responsibility of belief is on you. Because we can't stand with them on that day of judgment. 
We can also see that in verse 9, we see God accomplishes his plan through whomever he wants. Look at verse 9. It says, For this is the statement of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but Rebecca conceived children through one man, our father. For her sons had not born yet, are done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand. So he, 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 he's reviewing what I've said already. He's like, listen, uh, God told Sarah, listen, you're going to re- receive a son, and that's, that's the one. And listen, before Isaac was born, before he did anything, it was, hey, you are the one that I'm going to accomplish this thing through. And it said to Rebecca, who was Jacob's wife, hey, you're going to conceive uh, the, these sons, and, and one of them is going to be the one I choose before they did anything good or bad. See, the point is that God accomplishes his plans Sometimes through the unexpected one. Right? Nobody expected there's going to be a miraculous birth. And nobody expected that the younger twin was going to be the one that covenant. This is the scriptural witness. When we see that who is chosen by God to do stuff, it's always the one that doesn't make, doesn't make sense. You think about King David. how He was a good king, but he was the youngest son of like nine kids. And when, when, when Samuel said, where's, where's your other son? He's like, well, I got this one dude named David. He's out there in the back. And, and here, here you go. And Samuel's like, this one? He kind of scrawny. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's not according to, to the world standards. It's according to what God has shown. You even see this in the life of Jesus. When, when Jesus will go around preaching, and they're like, but where is he from, though? Yeah. They would say, he's from Nazareth. And they say, can anything good Come from Nazareth. I don't know if Nazareth was the hood or what, but they was like, hey, he ain't need to be coming from there. But here it is. God uses what he wants to. God does exactly what he wants to with whomever he wants to do. So we don't need to let small beginnings or, or any, any type of, of obstacles that we would see as us obeying God. We don't need to let those make us doubt God's call because God does what he wants. And not only that, he does this, like it says in verse 11, because of his own purpose, his own purpose according to election. What he's saying is that God's plan supersedes our own. I'm sure we got a lot of plans. I got plans. I don't know if they would the Lord want or not. But what he wants is what's going to happen. The ultimate plan is that he's going to bless the nations. He He is and is going to do that. Now, what's so interesting when I think about this doctrine of election, because that's what the word is election is there. OK, this doctrine of election. Is that God has chosen people to do stuff, not because of their plan or because their greatness or their wisdom, but because of his choice. So here's, here's the crazy thing. Like when we look, we look, I don't know whoever your hero is in the faith, whoever that person may be. You're like, man, that person is so awesome. They did all these great things and they were smarter, whatever it is that you like. OK, ultimately, the deciding factor was not how cool or holy or humble they were. The deciding factor is that God chose to use them. Amen. This this should bring us deep humility. Sometimes I, I, I'm surprised that I get uh, I get to talk about Jesus up here. It's not because I was cool. It's not because I was extra smart. God just decided to do this. So if God has called you to do something, it's not because of you. It's because of him. And that means we have to have great humility. And say, God, if if you've chosen me, this, it's not because I'm awesome. I can't get prideful about it. 
you just decided to be kind to me in this way. When we get to verse 12, we see that God keeps his covenant because he will accomplish his plan. Look at verse 12. It's not from works, but one cause. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. There's some harsh stuff up in here. Let's try to explain it. Here's the interesting thing. God did not select Jacob instead of Esau because he was morally better. Okay? That, that's, that was not, he was like, Jacob, Esau, Jacob, oh, he's so cool, that one. No, no, no. Jacob was a chronic liar, okay? And Esau wanted to murder him, okay? Like, they both like, not awesome, okay? <laughs> like, it wasn't like this is the cream of the crop going down right now, all right? They both were not awesome. See, here's the deal. If God would have been, he would not have chosen any of them. If God would have been there, he would not have chosen any of them. Election is beautiful because he chose anybody at all. It's like you go to the store, you're like, do you want the broken Xbox or the broken PlayStation? It's broken. Like, I don't want the one. Like, it's, it's, listen, listen. God chooses whom he wants to accomplish his purpose. Now, he's, there's a lot of quotations from the Old Testament in this passage. In verse 13, he's quoting from the book of Malachi, when it, the whole I hated uh, Esau, Jacob. He's quoting from the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. So he's not just talking about the people. He's talking about the nations that came from them. And when you use this love-hate uh, relationship, I want you to see in the terms of covenant. Like, okay, for instance, it's, it's, it's akin to him saying, I married that one and not another. Like, when you hear that, it's like, well, okay, well, he married one and not the other. He made a commitment to one and not the other. You know, like if there's a bunch of kids tripping, you don't want to take all of them home. But if one of them's yours, you're like, well, come on. You know, I'm responsible for you. So let's go. Listen, listen, this this is, is the idea. Listen, God chose to love Jacob and to love Israel, not because he deserved it more. Both nations, if you read the prophecy of the, of the Old Testament, both nations were idolatrous. Both nations served idols. Both nations did injustice. Both nations were, were cruel to the poor. They both had dirt. Yet God chose one to accomplish his plan, Israel. The doctrine of election is not about God playing favorites because one is better than the other. In fact, we all defective. We're not the pristine but God in his grace says you, I want you. How does this apply to you, Christian? The scriptures teach that you are a Christian because of God's election. I'm going to read this, this, this scripture slow. This is Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I want you to listen to it. It says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. According to what? Was it, was it according to how cool you are? No, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So before the world was created, so that's for you. 
mom and your daddy knew each other, okay? Just in case you timeline there. Before the world was created, if you are a Christian, God looked at you and said, you, I want you. Why? Because you are awesome? No, you ain't done nothing yet. Because he is gracious. Because he shows kindness. God predestined us to be adopted, to be included in his family. Why? Because of his good pleasure. Because he just wanted to be nice. It says to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, so that you would see the matchlessness of his grace. When we think about the doctrine of election, it has to be a source of great humility. And let's be honest, it, it, it makes people uncomfortable, but I was, I was able to see another aspect of it when I, was a, when I was a missionary in East Asia. So I was a missionary in East Asia. I'm going around trying to tell people about Jesus. And I remember the conversations I would have. I would say, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? Now, I was, I was in a country where it was illegal uh, to share the gospel, and, and there was a lot of government uh, persecution. And, and so when I said, have you heard of Jesus Christ, many times people would say to me, is that a cuss word? Because in the American movies I've seen, that seems to be what it is. And as I thought about that, I, I just reflected on my own life. When the Lord pricked my heart when I was 14, I could go to the Christian bookstore and go buy a Bible. When the Lord pricked my heart, I could turn on the TV and learn something about Jesus. When the Lord pricked my heart, I could go on Google because my Internet wasn't blocked from the government and learn something about Jesus. And I had to realize something. It's not because I was better than them. I did not control where I was born. I, I, I had no, nothing, nothing to do with that. But because of God's grace, I was born where I was born. And because of God's grace, I was able to access what I was access. Here's the, here's the deal. I want you to understand this. Look, when I think about how hard it is for some people to get aspect, to get access to the gospel and to the scriptures, and I think about how easy it is for us, I want you to understand there are people in this world who just long for a personal Bible. And ours is dusted on the shelf. They just long for somebody to tell them about Jesus. And we don't want to go to church. Beloved, that is squandering our election. The fact that you were born here, that you didn't deserve and you didn't make it happen. Beloved, we can't look at what has been given to us. That, that Listen, we did not earn. We can't look at what has been given to us and just leave it there on the shelf. Do not take where you've been placed for granted. Again, election is because of grace. You know, when I, when I look back on my life and I look at my friends in high school and, you know, all my friends, and I'm like, well, why in the world am I a Christian and they not? And I'm like, well, is it because I'm really cool? No, that ain't it. Is it because I, I just have a better way of processing information? Nah, I know some of them real smart. No, nah, they ain't either. Like, is it because I was good morally? No, nah, I was tripping hard. Before Jesus. So, so like, like when, I, when I just sit down and think about it, I cannot look to Will Broaddus and say, Will Broaddus is the reason that he believes in Jesus. I have to look, Jesus Christ is the reason that Will Broaddus believes in Jesus. Amen. That has to produce humility in us. It is a scandal that anybody will be proud to be a Christian. What, what you proud of? What did you do to contribute to your salvation? You sinned. Good job. No, beloved, this produces humility in us. Now, here's the other thing. 
God has chosen people. He never just chooses people just to choose them. He always chooses them for a purpose. So when he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to choose you to go bless the nations. Hey, uh, David, I'm going to choose you because through your descendant, I'm going to bless the nations. So listen, one of the things that gets really funky about the doctrine of election is in our minds, we're like, well, God elected me, so I can just chill. No, 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 no. If God chose you, he chose you to do something. If God has elected you, he has elected you for a purpose. Listen to John 15, 16. It says, this is Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why? I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain. So, beloved, if you know about Christ, if you have been saved, that means that God has created you for a specific purpose, that you would produce good fruit. And that you would go and serve other people. It is not just for yourself and not for you to sit in the corner. If you have been claimed by Christ Jesus, he claims you for a purpose. So here's the deal. If you have been claimed by Christ, you think about when you work where you work. That ain't that's not a surprise either. And you've been claimed by Christ. Why, why do you work there? Because Christ sent you there to bear fruit. You live where you live. Why do you live there? Because Christ puts you there to bear fruit. You have family with who you have family with. Why you got family there? Because Christ puts you there to bear fruit. Not for you. It's not just so that you can be like, I'm elected. No, no. He has sent you with a purpose so that he can bless the nations through you. You were elected unto service and witness and mission. For us to not understand that means that we look at God's gift in the face and say, it doesn't matter that much. This was the issue with Israel. One of the, one of the issues is, is Israel didn't obey God because, that, well, Daddy Abraham was cool with God, so I'm cool too. We can just chill. No. God elected you for a purpose. So, beloved, when you think about your own salvation, what it should produce in you is great humility and thankfulness. And when you think about where God has placed you, know that none of that is for an accident. Your neighbors are not your neighbors for accident. Your co-workers are not your co-workers for accident. Your family is not your family because of accident. God placed you there so that you could witness to his grace. So, beloved, we don't look at the doctrine of election and say, let's chill. No, we say, no, God has chosen us to do something. So let's carry out God's plan. Let's witness to Christ so that through us, God can bless all those around us. This this doctrine is just so genuinely encouraged me and it humbles me. Because it's not it's not because I'm awesome or you're awesome. We, you know, you might be an Xbox or a PlayStation, but you still don't work. (laughs) And God decided to fix you. So that you could be used by him to bless those around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I I thank you, Lord, that you in your grace decided to bless us before we did anything good or bad. And that despite our sin, despite our continual mess ups, Lord God, you maintain your covenant and your promise to us. Lord, let us never take that for granted. Help us to approach you in deep humility 
And Lord, help us to accomplish the assignments that you have given us to witness to your glory and your grace so that many people would know about the goodness of Christ Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Amen.